Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. And boy, does it feel good to say hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. It's been an eternity. 56 days. I checked since the last podcast we taped when Justin and I were honored to speak with Jarworski Beckham. That was back on the 25th of May. 56 days. Now, a lot has changed for the Ducks. We'll talk about that a ton. Of course, some uh, departing members of the Pac-12, in air quotes. Sabrina Ionescu going off. Oregon landing a commitment from the highest-rated quarterback they've ever recruited. That's noteworthy. We'll talk about that as well. But just the fact that it's been so long since we've taped the podcast, I want to start here. I got Justin Hopkins on the other end of the line. What's new in your world, my friend? Uh, <clears throat> I guess I really wouldn't say much. It's just, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, myself and probably you just kind of navigating our way through summer. And, you know, yeah. next thing yeah. you know, you've kind of looked up and it's, you know, uh, July 20th or 19 or whatever the day is. But, you know, meaning that you're about a week and a half away or so. Uh, from August, which, as most know, that's when fall ball, you know, tends to start kicking off. So I know everybody's getting really antsy for that. Uh, and I don't blame them. You know, there's been, you know, college football conference realignment has kind of dominated headlines for, you know, what we'll say is the last 30 days or so. Um, you know, so I know that's just made folks eager to get back into football. And uh, I'm I'm ready for that. I'm excited for it. And, and really just uh you know, anxious to kind of see this uh, Dan Lanning area kick off. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I want to see this team play in a real game. Uh, but like you said, it's it's the summer and we're navigating through it. I, I know you're privy to, to some of the busy work in, in my life right now. Um, it, but w- when I get tweets from people that they love the pod, they want to listen to the next pod, and they're wondering, hey, when are you going to tape this again, Matt? I'm always quick to say... Justin's a busy guy. Like, like I don't, I don't think people outside your site know you have a lot of kids. Summer is busy for you. Yeah, no, it is. It's always really busy, and you know, it's just, uh, you know, we could have done some, you know, podcasts for sure. And I, you know, it's it's definitely on me. But um, well, I'm not, I'm not blaming you, know, you. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming no, you. I'm just saying, I, there's a reason. No, I, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking. Uh, you know, most of the blame and, and we shouldn't have been, you know, gone uh, that long, but obviously with football coming back, I don't feel that there's any reason, you know, we will be doing that moving forward. No. So we'll, we'll get back to getting guests back in here and talking football, talking recruiting and, and just uh, getting back on our regular routine, if you will. Yeah. Hey, and let's, when we, when we first start talking about stuff, let's start here. The biggest news that broke in the last 56 days USC and UCLA say sayonara to the Pac-12. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, big, right? I mean, that's a, an understatement. I know that at this point, the news has been lingering for about 30 days now, so we're not talking about anything that's fresh, but it's still a heavily discussed item right now in the college football world, in the Oregon world. And, uh, you know, I, I think that... I guess my biggest thoughts on that, I think that was a really good and smart move by USC and UCLA. You know, you hitched your wagon to a, a really strong conference and one that has a very strong media partnership, which is, which is something that has plagued 
the Pac-12 for several years now, which wasn't uh, George Klyavkov's uh, fault, of course, as we all know that by now. Right. Rest in peace, Limo Larry. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and as far as that goes, it certainly cripples the Pac-12 because, you know, not only did you take one of your stronger programs and, and then, you know, UCLA hasn't been as strong lately, but basically they dominate that L.A. TV market, which is massive, massive, massive. Um, you know, that puts a pretty big gaping hole in your conference. So I hear talk about adding a San Diego State or some of these other things, and I don't know that it's bad, but I, I would kind of venture to say that long term, that's really not a supremely viable option uh, in the college football landscape. I mean, I, it could work, but if you end up in it, if Oregon ends up in it, I really question, you know, their longevity in college football if that ends up being the case. Yeah. Yeah, you know how the pod works, and people that listen for a long time, they know. I tend to defer to you because you are the expert um, overwhelmingly on most of the subjects we discuss here. You talk to the coaches. You've got decades of experience in recruiting, for example. Uh, But when it comes to broadcasts, I feel like I have some wisdom. and, and, And I've felt the whole way through this process that, what fans perceive should be done and what networks will do or what networks value in this whole rigmarole of realignment are two totally different things. So, you know, I hear a lot of fans say, you know, let's keep the Pac-12 alive. Let's, let's go after a Boise State or a San Diego State. And I think, well, that might be good in the short term. Right. If you add Boise, I think it's good for football, but the university presidents, they're looking at at beyond football and the networks are looking at market size. Boise is a market, but it's not a big market. It's not a great market. Uh, San Diego is a market, but it's not a massive one for football. So I I don't see those schools as being good fits for the Pac-12. I said the same thing about BYU when when BYU was on the outside looking in. Um, and, and, And so then the question is, is there any avenue that the Pac-12 can go that keeps the Pac-12 intact? Yeah, I I don't, uh, uh, you know, I guess... I'll start with what you said. Yeah, adding a Boise or adding a San Diego State feels like you're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just going to keep taking on, you know, gallons of water and you're trying to get it out with a a pint glass. And so uh, it it doesn't feel like, you know, viable. uh, It's a viable option. Obviously, you know, on the surface with what we know, we know that networks are, are, you know, obviously driving these discussions. We know that, you know, conferences are battling with the networks and then you've kind of got the presidents and athletic directors of certain schools kind of voicing their bit. But ultimately this really comes down to, you know, uh, uh, conferences versus networks. And in my opinion right now, I think most of us believe that we're headed towards two super conferences. And that's probably fair to say, I think the only the only way that the Pac-12 survives, and I don't know how this would, you know, be developed, but the only way the Pac-12 survives is if, you know, in my opinion, the ACC gets super aggressive here and decides, hey, let's let's, you know, let's bring uh, 
you know, everybody or the strongest from our conference. Let's get the strongest from the Big 12 conference and the strongest from the Pac-12 conference and, and form, you know, some 18, 18 team conference, some 2014 conference. I don't know what you want your number to be. And and of course, in my opinion, you would be really well served going out and grabbing Notre Dame at that point as well, if that can can be done, which, you know, are they're technically part of the ACC. So that should be somewhat seamless. If you can do that and somehow take those stronger, because there's still some good properties in the Big 12. There's still some good properties in the Pac-12. It's not like it's Oregon and everybody else. You've got Oregon, and I know Duck fans like to hear this, but Washington's a strong brand. You've got Stanford. You know, you could look at the Arizona schools if you want to own that market. You've got some good properties. Uh, I think you could create a, a third super conference, if you will, to compete with the SEC and the Big Ten. But A, you've got to find a, a willing network partner. Um, you know, obviously, you've got a lot of hurdles to go through. Uh, and in my opinion, I think the ACC kind of has to lead that charge. And they have to get super aggressive, super quick. Otherwise, I think the uh, SEC and Big Ten just continue to kind of pick off, you know, who they want here and there. Right. And that's it for the Pac-12. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I, I kind of agree with you. I think there's an offer to be made where the Pac-12 says, let's merge with the ACC. Um, and I think there's value from, from a broadcast standpoint. The pitch the networks make to every advertiser is we can sell you markets from coast to coast. You know, we can, we can get you, if Notre Dame joins in, you can get the Midwest. If the full ACC joins in, you get the entire East Coast. You get Louisville in, in the South. Uh, you get the Virginia schools. Um, if the Pac-12 in its entirety joins in, you get every West Coast market except L.A., and, and I say that with an asterisk because every remaining Pac-12 member has a large alumni base in L.A. That, that's one yes. reason why USC and UCLA leaving stings the Pac-12 as much as it did. It didn't just hurt TV sale or TV revenue. It hurt the gate sale because all those alumni base want to go to games in L.A. when their school visits L.A. Um, so I, I think it makes sense from a TV standpoint. The only question for me is scheduling because I, I don't think the ACC jettisons any of its members to pull this off. They've got 15 schools right now, 16 if you factor in Notre Dame, a member in every sport but football, and we think Notre Dame would join for something like this because money. Um, and then the Pac-12 is now a, a 10 without USC and UCLA. That's 26 schools. So maybe you cut that in half. It's, it's 13 schools, and they all play – uh, 12 in one division, 12 in another. But I, I just don't think that's it, – it, it's too many schools, not enough games to me. That's the only problem. Well, and I, I have – you know, obviously they've got years to figure it out. And I think we'll see some fine-tuning to some of this too because right now this is all about uh, networks and money and revenue. That's all it's right. about is revenue. That's right. everything right now. And, you know, I think the rest of us college football fans, I think just normal people, parents of, of players are sitting here looking at, hey, the logistics of this don't make any sense. You know, and, and I, you know, for football, 
you know, you got six, seven road games or whatever right. you've got in a year, you could probably survive it. But the other sports, the ba- the baseballs right. and the basketballs and no the track sense. field and the makes golf. No sense makes no, outside of football. Yeah. USC and UCLA are, are uh, you know, again, I, I think they were smart in making this decision to join. But, you know, over the next two years before this actually takes place, you know, if you're a, being a responsible athletic director or a responsible school president, you're looking at this like, well, unless we get some other West Coast schools, this probably is going to be this is probably going to be very challenging for us. So I want I, I guess I feel at some point that will become a bigger part of this. But I understand that the first hurdle and the only hurdle that matters right now is, is you know, network revenue. Uh, market share, uh, you know, grant to rights, all that kind of stuff, stuff that I don't understand remotely. Right. But, you know, I know that that's where we're at right now. But at some point, I think we're going to get to some of this other stuff that the rest of us are looking at. Like, so, you know, is is USC softball going to travel and play, you know, Rutgers, you know, every other month or every other week or something? That just doesn't make any sense. So, right. It, um, it, it's, it's an issue where... I know from experience, a lot of these programs, like like I'll use Oregon because that's the school I know the most. Um, when Joey Mack does an Oregon baseball broadcast, he flies, right? He tells me if if uh, if we have an interview scheduled on my radio show, he'll straight up say, "Hey, I I can't take this. I'm going to be in an airport, or hey, I'm going to be in the air." Right? So I know basketball season, baseball season. They still fly out the teams. That part's already taken care of. The hard part is all the hours in the air and all the hours in a hotel room and all the hours traveling are so much more when it's no longer a flight from Eugene to L.A. It's a flight from Eugene to South Bend or L.A. to Ann Arbor, right? You're, you're looking at all these hours that these student-athletes are not, are not simply spending outside the classroom, but spending outside their team facility, spending outside the dorm room. It, it, it really adds up. Yeah, the, the cost will be, be very, obviously be exponential. And, you know, I'm sure that those folks that are in those seven-figure positions have, have run some estimates, but I'm not sure if they've truly kind of detailed just how much you know, of a cost this could be, again, without creating some some sort of, that's why I think it, at some point, you know, if the SEC, the SEC going and getting Texas and Oklahoma logistically made sense. Yes. That's not yeah. that far out of, you know what I mean? You could, you can, those, those are, that's a sustainable model there. You, you, you went and got two schools that were huge markets, uh, you know, huge revenue getters, and they're still within your relative footprint. You know, don't get me wrong, a, a trip from Florida to, you know, Oklahoma is a little bit far, but you've only got a few instances there. Unless the Big Ten is going to start creating some sort of pod system, you know, you've got two outliers that aren't just like 500 miles away. You know, they're 2,500 miles away. They're 3,000 miles away from the bulk of your schools. That's a problem. So, You've got to think, I mean, we're just sitting here and I'm just spitballing. I haven't pretended to be an insider about this the whole time. But if if we're just speaking commonsensically, you've got to think that the Big Ten at least has some plans to put some other schools with USC and UCLA. Yeah. Otherwise, in the next two years, you've got to think that some of these, I, I don't know, it just it just seems to present a lot of problems. But again, 
this is all about money and and market share. So I guess maybe that part doesn't matter. Maybe we're just giving it too much credit. Well, I think it does matter. You know, you, you wrote at the very start of this, what, June 1st or July 1st, whenever the hell USC blew up our lives, um, that the Big Ten wanted more. The Big Ten understands that logistically this doesn't make sense for the student athletes, the coaches, the families. Um, it, it's hard to get a recruit to sign up for all this travel. Um, but the, the, the waiting list is not, um, not easy. So like if you're Oregon or I hate to say it, if you're Washington and, and you are the two schools with the biggest markets and the biggest brands in the PAC 12 now in terms of, you know, how many fans tune into your games week in, week out, you have to wait for Notre Dame. And, and having a broadcast background, I hate to say it, I would make them wait for Notre Dame too. I, I think, is Notre Dame the better football brand right now in 2022? No. I think Oregon has been the better program over the last 30 years. But I think Notre Dame's fan base, which is a national fan base, which tunes in in South Bend and Chicago in the Midwest, but also tunes in right here on the West Coast, tunes in in the Deep South, tunes in all across America. Um, I, I, I think that is a, a huge feather in the cap for any conference that can get them to sign. Their TV deal is worth a ton more um, just, just by adding Notre Dame. And, and that's ultimately what matters because if, the team, yeah. if they can get more from Fox, let's say, Let's say the Big Ten gets Notre Dame um, on top of USC and UCLA. Fox has to give them more money, and that means more money goes to each member school, and that means more money goes to all of their other programs that football funds, and that's ultimately what these programs want. Yes. No, I, I agree, and you know, I, I said the same thing today. I wrote a quick update, didn't have any juicy tidbits. I posted it for free, just my thoughts and reading tea leaves, and the same thing and hitting upon what you just said, the same thing exists today that existed on that very first day. We all, we all knew, you know, it immediately pivoted to Notre Dame and their decision. That's still the same thing. Notre Dame hasn't made any decision. They haven't made an announcement. And I think Oregon's future, the PAC 12's future, the, the, the potential for the big 10 to expand, you know, continues to hinge on Notre Dame and it's, and it's decision. So, you know, Again, that remains hurdle number one. I, I still think that potentially the Big Ten could expand, you know, beyond just adding the two of UC, USC and UCLA. Mm -hmm. More than likely, I, I, maybe it doesn't line up, you know, in terms of of the market share and the revenue generation generating that they want. But from a common sense, from a you know, creating that kind of pod standpoint. I think they're really just waiting to figure out on if they're going to add Notre Dame and if they'll add one other school, potentially Oregon or Stanford or Washington or whoever, uh, and Notre Dame and add three more schools potentially, which could be all three of them. Uh, or if Notre Dame says, no, thanks, we're just going to stick where we are, you know, then they just might not add any more anymore. And again, all of that, all those scenarios that I just painted out hinge on what Notre Dame does. Right. Uh, so, so I still think that's where where we're at. Um, you know, I think uh, the 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 Pac-12, Big Twelve talks being dead. 
Um, that doesn't bother me one bit. I saw that as kind of a loss for for the Pac-12 and for Oregon if they were a part of it. Part of it. I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough to create that third competing super conference with just the Pac-12 and Big 12 schools. Even if you added all of them, you know, because let's be let's be real. It's about the top, you know, four to six schools in each of those conferences, not so much the bottom schools. And, and I don't think there's enough there to do that unless you get members from the ACC and or Notre Dame involved in that. Uh, really, you're, you're going to stay a, a second tier conference, in my opinion, on you know what continues to develop. So and the last, you know, not the last thing, but the next thing that I wanted to say, maybe just somewhat wrapping up on that is I, I know folks have been, you know, noticeably. Uh, upset with Oregon and Michael Scheel and uh, Rob Mullins not seeing anything. And in my opinion, there's absolutely no value for no. them to say anything. No, like they there's, they can't. No, they can't and they shouldn't. I mean, because all you're going to do is eliminate options from yourself at that point, right. and that becomes incredibly dangerous. So right now, I think Oregon has handled this the right way with minimal leaks from the program, if any leaks, and ultimately just basically sitting quiet and kind of letting things develop. Um, I think the I think the reports of Phil Knight vigorously working on this thing are are vastly overblown. Um, I, I maybe don't doubt that he's had some involvement, maybe made a phone call or two, but I think the the painting of the picture that he's out there, you know, beating down the, the door of the Big Ten to let them in, I think all of those reports are are, you know, completely overrated. Uh, and I do think, once again, you know, last thing, I know Pete Thamel put out, you know, what we're kind of, quote, unquote, calling a hit piece on the Pac-12 and its value. Well, Pete Thamel works for ESPN, and ESPN's got the most to gain for the Pac-12 having the least amount of value. So, right. you know, that, that just seems a little co- too coincidental for right. me. So. If, if the Pac-12 and Big Ten, I can't say merge, right, because – Right now, the the Big Ten can just take what they want. But let's say the Pac-12 members join the Big Ten. That's a win for Fox at the expense of the mothership. So I'm I'm with you there. As for all of the Uncle Phil stories, I think it speaks to like his mythos. Not not so much in Oregon because I think people in Oregon largely have a good sense of of what he does for the University of Oregon and, frankly, what he does for the Pac-12, being a Stanford alum and a Stanford donor. Um, But I think the rest of the country still sees him as this guy secretly, you know, this puppet master kind of pulling the strings on everything and using his money and using his influence. Oh, my God. Oh, how scary to uh, turn this this minnow into a dominant power in collegiate sports. And I don't I don't think that's fair. I know you don't think that's fair. Um, I, I think if anything, what what's likely happened is the networks, and, and I mean the heads of the networks, the people that are, are really controlling this realignment at Fox Sports and at ESPN and CBS and NBC, um, and, and I think the folks at Apple as well, you, you got to throw Apple and Amazon into this discussion because they've been brought up as a potential broadcast partner, uh, uh, not just with the Pac-12, but with, uh, with professional sports and other venues. I think all of those people no, you, you're not going to go anywhere just by talking to Michael Schill, the university president, or you're, you're not going to go very far just talking to Rob Mullins. 
the AD because they are bound to an agreement with the Pac-12. They can't just outwardly say, yeah, we hate the Pac-12 and we want to leave. Let's get out of here. They can't do that. And so you you have to basically, um, you know, the Big Ten can't just poach. What they do is Fox speaks to a middleman or ESPN or whichever network speaks to a middleman, a a prominent booster that can speak – on the interests of the president and the AD at the university and work through that middleman. And and that's what I think Phil Knight and his group might be doing. Uh, It could be Phil Knight. It could be other Oregon boosters. I think that's a lot more likely than just, oh, Phil Knight is banging the doors down on the Big Ten trying to get Oregon in. I I don't think it works that way. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I don't either. And I I think that that misconception is also tied to you know, while we're talking about Phil Knight, I think that misconception about him, you know, sitting there burning up the phone lines, trying to get Oregon into a, a super conference, you know, is also related to NIL. People just assume that mm-hmm. Phil Knight's just writing blank checks to right. Oregon, which is bogus. To go and, yeah. Which is bogus. He, he is not. He's yeah. he is he involved in certain aspects of the NIL? Yes. You know, is is a lot of the, you know, current team i'm going to say team because there's team nil and there's recruiting nil there's money you're going out to give to recruits to try and you know persuade them to come to your school and there's nil money for the existing players that you have at your that you're at your program and i think phil knight is far more involved in the team aspect than the recruiting and i think there's a huge misconception out there that oregon's just paying for these recruits and Phil Knight's just going to give Dan Lanning blank checks to go sign all the five stars he wants. Uh, he's not. He's actually very – he is not that involved. He is involved, but it's pretty minimal. And, you know, he could. Uh, there's no doubt that Phil Knight has enough money to do that, to go and, and write checks. But it's just not – it's just not his M.O. That's just not the way he, he, he likes to operate. And he also doesn't want Nike to be attached with – you know, almost signing these kids, and I say kids, recruits out of high school, uh, you know, as agents or as, um, you know, as as talent to Nike, because there's there, there does need to be, you know, a division between Phil Knight and his company and the University of Oregon. And I think he's very aware of that. And he's very, you know, keen on that. So, you know, again, I, I mean, let's be real. Is Phil Knight involved? Yeah. Will anybody pick up his phone call in the college football world? Probably. But again, I, I just he has never come off as that kind of a guy that's just running around, you know, trying to cause havoc and, and begging people to take Oregon or begging recruits to come to Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy is uh, I, I don't think people understand. He's he's 84. Does he care about NIL? Yes. Does he care about Oregon recruiting and Oregon success? Of course he does. But you can't control everything you're not in control of everything at 84 um i I think he likes to help the university i think he likes to help a lot of schools and that's about as far as it goes um yes okay um i feel i feel like we we've taken enough to chew on this i know we have a time limit uh because you're a busy dad do i have time to ask you one more question yeah let's do it okay so the other massive seismic story that happened while we were away Oregon signed Dante Moore 
or, or got a commitment from, I should say, Dante Moore, a five-star quarterback, and, and notably the highest-rated quarterback commit in the history of Oregon football. Um, I, actually, I've got two. I, I want to ask you this, and then i got one more to kind of follow up on it. What does this move mean for the future of Oregon football? Uh, which, what do you mean? Dante Moore. Dante Moore, okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if you were going back to conference alignment stuff, but yeah, no, Dante Moore. Um, obviously, as a player, tremendous player, obviously uh, any, t- any recruiting cycle, your best recruiter uh, typically becomes your quarterback, and, and, and that includes defensive prospects too, maybe not quite to the degree of offensive guys, but um, you know, it is a bonus there. Uh, it, it speaks, you know, one of the things I really like is that, you know, Dan Lanning is a defensive coach. Everybody knows that. And, you know, he was able to go and hire a really good offensive staff that was able to do this. Large part, Kenny Dillingham. If your offensive staff is able to recruit this well, I think we feel pretty confident that the defensive staff's going to get it done because, of course, Dan Lanning's a defensive-minded guy and obviously a very bright defensive-minded guy. Uh, so I, I think that that's something very valuable there. Secondly, you know, this isn't um, this isn't like, oh, we got the last guy at the table. You know, we were able to pull in somebody because we didn't have a quarterback committee and, you know, we were one of the last best options. This is a guy everybody wanted. LSU wanted him. Texas A&M wanted him. Miami wanted him. Notre Dame wanted him. And Oregon flat out beat them out for him. Like, that's just, I mean, that's really something in my mind. Not to mention the kids from Michigan. This isn't a kid from California or Portland or Washington, somewhere in the Western footprint. This is a kid from Michigan. Now, of course, in today's world of recruiting, there's NIL. And for the most part, your your top 10 to 15 to maybe even 20 quarterbacks are going to command some form of NIL money to come to your school. And that's not just Oregon. That's, you know, pretty much any school out there. But what I like about Dante Moore, and I'm sure he received some NIL benefits, is he's a guy that really didn't put that at the forefront of his recruitment. It wasn't like, hey, the highest bidder gets me. That's where I'm going. I think Oregon had to be competitive with some of the other offers, but I also don't think Oregon was his biggest offer in terms of NIL. And I really like that about him. I think it's a smart business decision. I like that it means Oregon played ball uh, in the NIL market. Um, But I just like how all of those things kind of come together and why that, you know, not only is he a highly ranked player, but I just think all of those things really show us and maybe give us a little bit of confidence into the offensive recruiting for Oregon under Dan Lanning, which I think some maybe had question marks about because he was a defensive minded coach. Yeah. And, and I think confidence is a key word because that was going to be the second question I had, tying it all together with this discussion about realignment and what's next for the Pac-12 and how Oregon fits in that. It's safe to say, or, or I should say, let's make this a question, is it safe to say that Oregon will recruit just fine no matter what happens to them over the next uh, year in this conference realignment mumbo-jumbo? Yeah, I you know, I think it's a good question because I know a lot of folks think, well, until conference realignment stuff is handled, Oregon's going to be behind the eight ball. I think that potentially could uh, somewhat 
hurt them with a few recruits, but I don't think that that shifts them from, you know, the chance at having a top 10 class to, you know, being barely able to sign a top 20 class. I don't, you know, I just don't think it's that big of a deal there. It could impact a couple of decisions and there's no doubt there's not a single doubt in my mind that USC isn't using the, using this full throttle, trying to get, you know, kids not to go to Oregon and to go to USC right? as they should. I'm sure they're using it and selling it as hard as they can. At some point, I think folks will realize, hey, this is still two years in the making. USC didn't isn't jumping in and playing Ohio State in September. Okay, I mean they'll figure it out and and things will calm. That's what happens with news, right? There's so much news in a given day or or a given week. You know, stuff kind of gets shuffled to the back at some point, and I think that's what will happen here. Yeah. Um, now, you know, in terms of of in terms of Oregon and NIL and top ranked recruits, you know, that's a bigger rub to me. I think there's a pretty, again, a big misconception that Phil Knight's just sitting up in Portland and Beaverton or wherever he's out writing big checks to Dan Lanning to, to go sign the best players. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think Oregon's operating on that kind of an NIL budget in terms of recruiting. You know, I think Miami, uh, Tennessee, Texas, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. A&M. A and M, Louisville, Louisville. There's some there's some schools out there throwing some change around, and 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 I think Oregon's going to have the opportunity to maybe snag a five star or two, but ultimately maybe going to really need to live in that kind of that next tier down, and I'm going to use air quotes here, finger quotes, find value. You know, you're going to need to find guys that you're not having to outbid others for just to get. You know, and so I think that's where. You know, Oregon's going to need to kind of make its money because, again, I'm going to keep using this analogy until people get it. Right now, NIL in recruiting in college football is structured the way that the MLB and Major League Baseball is. You can spend as much as you want if you got it or, you know, again, my money ball reference or you're the Oakland A's and you've got to go find value like like Billy Bean did. Oh. And I and I think Oregon's a lot more like value and Billy Bean than they are like the New York Yankees or the LA Dodgers. Oh. And I think, I think fans need to recognize that that's, that's how current, you know, NIL is, is, uh, is structured in college football. Well, that, that's a harrowing thought because I already have one annoying green and yellow loser in my life. And I, I don't want to have another, um, <laughs> uh, okay. I know we're on a time limit. Um, how how are we doing on that time limit? Yeah, probably uh, reaching a, a bit of a of a tipping point. But okay. yeah, I, okay. I I I also think that you know our first pod back, you know, getting those two big topics out of the way. I know they're kind of old, but gets gets them covered. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, moving forward, we get back on our weekly routine, and we'll be able to go you know over over other items which in the next two weeks or so will include fall camp that's getting ready to break yeah yeah fall camp and and i know those are old items but they're important items right they're the things that are on everybody's mind right now um all all summer really until we get games to play and and something else to put on the mind he's justin hopkins i'm matt bagley next week i will really want to catch up I want to learn what you've been drinking over the summer. We got through the 4th of July. We didn't do a show. I want to know what you're drinking. I want to know what you're grilling, what you're eating. How's life in the summer? 
How, how's the family? And uh, what's next for us? What's next for the pod? What's next for the Ducks? We'll talk about all that too as we get closer to fall camp and seeing Dan Lanning's Ducks in person for the first time. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and we'll be back again soon.